0: Welcome to Today on Broadway for Tuesday, September 15th. I am arts and culture writer, Alicia Ramirez.
1: And I am Broadway World's Matt Tamanini.
0: Before we get started on the news, I want to go over two things. First, head over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash broadwayradio or broadwayradio.com patreon Patreon. Tobacca's if you haven't already. And second, Matt, did you want to miss Cascala?
1: Um, I had it on while I was working and I, as things were coming up, I tuned in if I thought that it was something that I wanted to see. So I think I probably saw about two thirds to three quarters of the performances.
0: I just didn't want to miss the opportunity to talk about how wonderful Heather Hetley was. Oh my God.
1: That is an evergreen statement if there ever is was one. Um. <laughs> Um, when I interviewed Rob McClure uh, a couple weeks ago heading into Yay. Miss Kest, he said the thing that he was most excited about was seeing Heather Headley perform. And uh, that was the obvious answer. And she so delivered. Like, it took me a minute to, to realize what song she was doing, doing mm-hmm. Endless Night from the Broadway version of, of The Lion King, which she obviously originally starred in. But yeah. that song, which I've talked about on some like it pop before, like that's a top five favorite show tune for me. And mm-hmm. then to know the history of the original Simba on Broadway that she co-starred opposite. Um, And to hear her do that song like that, she is just such an amazing, genuine, honest performer. It was uh, by far the highlight for me. There were other wonderful things, but Heather Headley needs to just, as far as I'm concerned, do more theater, sing more show tunes, and just genuinely be a star uh, even more than, uh, than she already is.
0: I wish I could have seen her in The Lion King, but I did see her in The Color Purple, and she was phenomenal. My gosh, yeah. Heather Headley absolutely blew my mind. And to be frank, I'm not much of a crier, but <laughs> it just it I teared up. I wow. Well,
1: well, at least <laughs> I will tell you. Longtime listeners will know. That I very much am a crier. Um, I am what I like to define as a sentimental crier. And that one, um, I don't know that I, I... I know I got tons of goosebumps at it. I don't know that I cried. But I did see Heather in both Lion King and in Aida. So Aww. I have very, very fond memories uh, of her. And I hope that... I mean, she has a huge you know, recording career and in, in a TV uh, career as well. So she is very in demand. Um, mm-hmm. So I hope that we get to see her more regularly on Broadway and in the theater. Obviously she did Into the Woods with Rob. She did, uh, she was a replacement in the Color Purples revival. Yeah. Um, but the, anytime we can see Heather Headley on stage is is good for me.
0: Well, what a talent. Anyway, I, I think that's enough of Heather Headley, <laughs> I mean, but- It's
1: never it's never enough, but I understand what <laughs> you're saying. Yes.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for those who didn't get to experience Heather hatley's performance, you have until the 17th to watch it on MCC's YouTube page. So that doubles as an announcement and is a feel-good recommendation for today.
1: <laughs> Absolutely.
0: All right, Matt, let's get into the news. Leading off with show opening updates. At the moment, because of COVID-19, Broadway will not reopen until at least 2021. That's... Something we all know. But Weston producers are looking to get musicals up and running as early as November. Matt, any guesses on which musical is reopening?
1: Um, I don't have a guess or two or three or four or five, but I might have six guesses.
0: Okay. Yeah. <laughs> So you're you're close, you're on to something, because Six will be the first musical to reopen on the West End. The musical will have socially distant performances nine times a week at the Lyric Theatre from November 14th through January 31st, 2021. Also, the show's UK touring cast will resume performances in Salford on November 27th for a six-week Christmas season run. Safety measures will include hand sanitation, face coverings, track and trace, contactless tickets, temperature testing, and the deep cleaning and sanitation of the theater. It's worth noting that the Lyric Theater on the West End is part of the NYMAX group and other NYMAX shows opening are Agatha Christie's The Mousetrap, and that's opening in October, and everybody's talking about Jamie in November. According to an article published by The Guardian last Friday, cases of coronavirus in England are doubling every seven to eight days. The statistics are unsurprising, but it's still disheartening to hear. It certainly provides jobs to hundreds of people, And they will be playing a bigger house that allows for more social distancing. But they're guaranteed to run at a loss. What do you think, Matt?
1: That's interesting. I hadn't realized that the shows were guaranteed to uh, run at a loss. I thought perhaps adding the ninth performance to the schedule might Mm -hmm. be what allowed them to make money. Especially with a show like Six, as we've talked so much about with the Broadway version at least, is that... It is a fairly inexpensive show to run. It's a small cast, small band, not much in terms of uh, automation, no real automation. You know, mm-hmm. I thought they might be able to, uh, to make that work with uh, an extra performance, even though things are socially distanced. We've seen shows open in, in the UK, whether it's uh, in the West End or in other places, that have had runs. Um, speaking specifically of things like the Sleepless in Seattle musical, that is more or less sold out. Um, it, you know, it, I think a lot of the next few weeks are sold out. Then it's very well sold moving forward. Uh, but the tickets, like you said, are very limited and everybody has to sit in little like bubbles or pockets with people that they come with. Um, so it's, it's an interesting uphill battle. I, I, you know, I, I appreciate the fact that they're trying, but I also realize that um, if they can't figure out ways to, To make it profitable, some of these tries won't last super long and won't beget other tries.
0: Yeah, definitely. And to your point, six doesn't require a lot of money to keep it running because of the size of the cast and other factors. But everybody's talking about Jamie. I'm not sure if those um, parameters can be applied to that show as well. Have, Have you seen it, Matt?
1: I have not, no, since it hasn't been over to the US, I have not been over to the UK. I mean, and I think it's important for us to note that while we talk about shows like uh, Six being, you know, fairly small, you know, in terms of the budget and also things like The Mousetrap and shows like that, they're still expensive. They're just relatively less expensive than, say, something like. Wicked or Phantom that have these huge sets and these huge costumes and need all these different crew members and have huge casts. So it's not that they're cheap to run. It's not like they're throwing a show up there for a couple hundred bucks a week. But it is, you know, it's it, it is interesting that the smaller shows are getting started first. It makes sense, but it is still a little discouraging that even those aren't able to make money.
0: This is also a place that's receiving lots of government support in comparison to the US. Mm, And still they're not they're they're struggling to get back on their feet, so I I really don't wanna think about what's it gonna be.
1: For Broadway, <laughs> well, and that's the huge difference between New York theater and London theater. The arts are so well subsidized in the UK uh-huh. that comparing comparing just you know the box office and the grosses and things like that isn't necessarily comparing apples to apples. So that is obviously and that's a very important point that you made. It's a it's a very important factor in determining you know what is quote unquote profitable. You know even if even commercial productions receive. Um, a lot of incentives during the development process and a lot of the uh, the workshops and the out-of-town trials are often uh, subsidized. But again, I think we've kind of said this from the very beginning. I am all for people trying to make things work. It might not always be possible, but I appreciate people who are willing to try, even if it is ultimately unsuccessful, because – We're never going to get back to this if we're all waiting for the perfect opportunity to bring theater back to the stage. Because, unfortunately, I don't think that perfect opportunity is going to happen anytime soon.
0: No, definitely. Now, back to the U.S. because I want to discuss one of my favorite TV watching traditions. (laughs) The Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. It was announced yesterday by Mary Bill de Blasio that this year's parade will be going virtual. According to Deadline, performances have been limited to the stores' one-block radius. Participation of all marching bands have been deferred to next year. And other artists participating must wear face coverings or other protective equipment. It's good to see this, Matt, as this really takes me back to the Prompt's performance uh-huh. in 2018. I think we talked about that, my, my first mm-hmm. episode or my second.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: But things are obviously really stressful for our Broadway performers right now. And with so many union restrictions and posts on them, who knows if we will get any Broadway talent at the parade.
1: What I would love to see, to be honest with you, is if by this point we actually had a fairly firm date in which um, New York theater was able to resume, even if that's not until June or July or even the next fall. If tickets are on sale, I would hope that because marching bands are not participating, because um, there would likely not be nearly as many performances, um, hopefully there would be even more theater uh, performers going on. Mm -hmm. Obviously, like you mentioned, who knows what the union is going to allow at this point. But now that we're seeing performances of shows get back for filming purposes... Um, If if those are going to be eligible, I think doing some sort of promotional performance for the parade might fall under something that we're able to figure out. And if there is tickets to be sold, uh, the parade is always something that is is a huge opportunity for Broadway. And I don't know how they're going to do that with masks, but it's not like they sing live anyway for the parade. So might as well uh, have those opportunities for them anyway.
0: Yeah, I I agree with you, but as I mentioned, I'm a cautious optimist. I I wish that were the plan, but the way things are looking now and how much information has been concealed from the public and from industry insiders, I don't think that's going to happen. I wish it did, though.
1: I just think that we just... I think there's so many things that we don't know. I don't know how much of it is the information that's been concealed and how much of it is information that just hasn't been decided yet. I think that's part of the problem, too, is, is that everybody's waiting and everybody's just kind of slowly trying to figure things out. So who knows? We will... Mm. Uh, there's there's a few months until Thanksgiving, so we will see what happens as uh, late November approaches.
0: All right. Fingers crossed. All right, Matt. Let's quickly run through some news and brief. Because I have a recommendation I want to discuss with you today, I'll be do that later. Anyway, first up on Monday, Playbill announced that Broadway for Racial Justice launched the Casting Directive, a nine-week training program for up-and-coming theater professionals interested in casting. The program is designated to foster the next generation of casting professionals, and in my book, that includes more Black, Indigenous, and people of color. As we've discussed in the show, um breaking into the performing arts into industry requires people to do lots of unpaid work, which shows many people's privilege to take on this work and is the inequality um when it comes to people of color in the industry. And with the knowledge imparted in this program, attendees will have the know-how they need to land entry-level jobs whether They are at a casting office or freelance. The directive also provides a stipend for trainees. You know, we have the Commercial Theater Institute for Producing and the O'Neill National Critics Institute for Theater Critics, but nothing really for casting. So, any listeners interested in this program, you have until September 21st to apply, and we will provide more information in the show notes. Another news item, Classic Stage has reaffirmed their commitment to producing Assassins. The production was scheduled to open in April with Stephen Pasquale, Judy Kuhn, Will Swanson, Ethan Slater, and others under the direction of John Doyle. Matt, the show is loaded with high-profile talent, but I don't think we need a production of Assassins whenever we can safely reopen theaters.
1: I strongly, strongly disagree. I think we need a production of Assassins at all times. Okay. <laughs> when when right. safe. When safe, of course. We don't need one right now. Yeah. But yes.
0: Because this reads to me as an attempt to return to the way things were before March 12, and I don't want that.
1: I don't know what you mean, but I mean, to me, this is a show that, obviously, I think having this show done before an election plays differently than it does after an election. But to me, Mm -hmm. this is an under underappreciated masterpiece, and and to me, in the later part of Sondheim's career, this is uh, his best work, and I think it is one that is always looking for interesting direction, and I don't know, Uh I've seen a number of productions, and that direction has has not always risen to the level of the content, but I'm I'm interested to see John Doyle's interpretation. John Doyle, for me, is very hit or miss, and this would be the Uh third of the Sondheim-Weidman shows that he's directed, but I think uh, Assassins is a beautifully bittersweet show um, that says a lot about who we are as people and what we should and could be, oh, uh, for sure. and despite the fact that when you say it's a show about people who killed or tried to kill presidents, it doesn't necessarily always indicate that.
0: Yeah, and I'm curious, Matt, you said you've seen a number of productions of Assassins, Mm -hmm. Who is your dream director?
1: Oh, that's good. Um, I mean, I saw the Broadway production back in 2004, just a couple weeks after I graduated college, actually. Um, uh, That was a great production. Obviously, anybody who was around Broadway at the time remembers that. I actually saw it the day it ended up winning the Tony Award for Best Revival. I saw the matinee before it won the Tony. Yeah, Randomly, I was in town to see friends. We decided to go see a show. That's what we saw. We also had gone to the Belmont Stakes the day before the horse race. But I don't know. You know who I would really like to see? And this might be out there. I'd like to see Tina. I would like to see Tina Landau do this show. Um, She comes from from such an experimental avant-garde theater background, but she also has the physical artistic vision to make this show something unique and different. And you have to have an absurdist avant-garde approach to be able to put all these different people from all these different centuries of American history uh, into a show together and make it feel fluid and coherent. So I'm sticking with Tina Landau, but then again, I would be fine with T- Tina Landau directing just about anything.
0: Well, we'll keep it out for that, hopefully in, in a few years. Who knows? But finally, Broadway favorites Orfe and Andy Carl have acquired the film rights of Eric Burnett's self-published mystery novel, The Dancer. This novel is set in 1985 in New York City during the AIDS epidemic. It's about a man who discovers a dead body and he becomes the focus of the investigation and he must find the cause of the murder to prove that he's innocent. This announcement comes at the heels of Deadlines exclusive last week where they announced that Tony nominee Brandon Victor Dixon along with Victoria Lang and Ryan Bogner Producers and co-presidents of Broadway and Beyond Theatricals acquired stage and film rights to The Magic in Changing Your Stars by Leah Henderson. I'm always excited to see Broadway performers diversifying um, their interests and mm-hmm. what they can do. And this is especially relevant during the pandemic since theaters are shut down. And also, if you must know something about me:
1: Oh, I must. I must.
0: Yeah. <laughs> My first job out of college was at a literary agency, so I helped negotiate contracts and foreign rights and stuff like that. So whenever I see announcements like these, I'm always so excited just to see what they're going to do and, and what rights which book has and, and stuff. It's like yeah. kind of nerdy.
1: No, I think that's great. I mean, I it's so interesting that you said to see people who we know primarily as performers taking on... Um, things as producers, whether or not they end up starring in them as well. I think adding the extra hat of being somebody who is in the room as an adaptation is put together is just as creative as being the person either on stage or in front of a camera. It's a very different kind of creativity and a very different kind of skill set. But um, I love that. I, I think that that's uh, super interesting, especially when you think of uh, Orfe and Andy Carl who have worked together. Multiple times on stage, mm-hmm. you know, three Broadway shows they've done uh, together. You know, they met doing a show together. They've done two shows together as a married couple. I think this is super interesting. I'm I'm excited to see what happens with this uh, uh, as they continue the developmental process. Yeah,
0: for sure. And also, come to think of it, all of these performers acquire so much knowledge in the rehearsal room and mm-hmm. just learning about the industry just by being part of it. So why not? exercise those muscles if you can and lastly for my recommendation of the day it's a non-reading recommendation it's over at the shared screen.com for those of you who don't know the shared screen is a nonprofit organization whose goal is to optimize what they call web theater via accessible professional theater and their debut play it's called tape is by Tony and Emmy nominated writer Steven Belber. This play has been produced internationally and it was also made into two movies starring Ethan Hawke and Uma Thurman. It has been reconceptualized to fit current times and you can watch it from September 19th to 21st for only $9. Do you have any fun recommendations?
1: No, my recommendation is wasn't always will be anything Heather Headley does.
0: I agree with you there. Thanks for listening to Today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Broadway Radio. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at A. RamirezGar31. Matt, where can people find you?
1: You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at BWW Matt.
0: Don't forget to back us on Patreon at www.patreon.com Broadway Radio and follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Broadway Radio. Have a great Tuesday and we will see you tomorrow.